Welcome to another episode of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode two for the second half of August 2011. The topic I'm going to delve into this week is UFOs. Now first, before I really get into this topic, I want to define my terms. I realize that a UFO simply stands for unidentified flying object. Unfortunately, that term has been pretty much taken over by the alien visitation community, such that when you hear the term UFO, it almost always equates with aliens. That's how I'm going to use the term for this episode, because that's pretty much what I'm going to be discussing. Aliens. Now, one of the claims that I often hear from the UFOs equal aliens community is that they see an object that they can't explain, think it's an alien craft, and then they proceed to give an estimate for exactly how far away it is, how big it is, and how fast it's traveling. On its face, this may seem to be completely reasonable. After all, when you see a car on the road, you can usually estimate how far away it is, how fast it's traveling, and how big it is. And there's a numerous type of craft, and these are real. They're not uh, something that gets made up and hung on a string and then photographed. I mean, because these things are doing thousands of miles an hour across the sky. And how high up do you think they are at? Because, you know, that was a big discussion that night. Uh, we were trying to figure out how high these objects were. What did you estimate at that time? Well, I, I estimated that... Uh, I would say that uh, from just experience of watching them, I'm going to guess it was about 200 miles. 200 miles. Now, what? I, I know some of these questions are speculative for you, but uh, that's true. But you could stand on the freeway and and watch cars go by, and you could say, "How fast is that?" Yeah, one going? absolutely. You know? Okay, well, so what kind is that one? So, you know, so up, you, you estimate. Got to use judgment. Absolutely. Now, that clip that I just played for you is from the late-night radio show Coast to Coast AM from February 12, 2009, and I'm actually going to be playing several clips from Coast to Coast throughout this episode as examples. Now, this analogy of a car and being able to tell how far away it is, how fast it's traveling, and how big it is completely breaks down when you look up in the sky and have no reference point. All we can really know are two things, the angular size and the angular speed. Angular size is a term meaning how big an object appears to be. This is measured as an angle. If you stare straight ahead and you turn around in a complete circle, you have just turned 360 degrees. There are 360 degrees in a circle and we can divide each single degree into 60 minutes. Each minute can be divided into seconds, so angles work a lot like time, actually, in terms of using a hexadecimal system. Astronomers often refer to objects having an angular size in terms of seconds, because we usually look at small objects. When we look at bigger objects, like the moon or the sun, we will usually use minutes. So the moon, for example, is about 30 minutes in angular size. An angular speed is just like a size. We measure how fast something is moving in terms of the angular distance between its starting and ending location. Putting these terms together, for example, I could say, I observe a comet. This comet is 10 arc seconds in size, and it moves across the sky 
about 2 degrees per day. Now to put any physical units to those, to say how big that comet is, how fast it's really moving through space, or how far away it actually is, we have to know one of those in physical units so that with that measurement along with the two angular ones we can figure out the other two. Now I realize that I've just gone through what may seem like a lot of geometry to try to simplify things and show you why anyone who claims they know the distance, size, and speed of a UFO is fooling themselves, let's go outside. If they crossed the sky for him in two seconds. What I witnessed was approximately six seconds. And you have to estimate their speeds at over 50,000 miles per hour and their altitudes between 50 and 200 miles. And I'll to give you a comparison, the space um, station orbits the Earth every 90 minutes, and that, I believe, is going at about 24,000 miles per hour. Okay, I actually meant outside as in during the day. Imagine that flying overhead are two birds. They're fairly high up, so you don't know what kinds of birds they are. They could be pigeons, they could be albatross. One could be one, one could be another. You see one that looks big and is moving slowly and one that looks small and is moving quickly. Which one is farther away? Which one is really bigger and which is really moving faster? Now you could guess that the one that looks bigger is actually closer because it looks bigger, meaning that it's just lazily gliding along while the one that looks smaller is farther away and it's really booking it across the sky. Or you could guess that because of the speeds, the one that's farther away is the one that's moving more slowly. So in reality, it must be huge because it looks bigger than the one that you're assuming is closer. You know their angular size, how big they appear to be. And you know their angular speed, how fast they appear to be moving. But without making an assumption about its actual distance, its actual size, or its actual speed, you can't know which is bigger, which is farther away, and how fast they're really going. And uh, this thing, George, was so big. Now, I know that it was up there high enough. It was so big, and it was going so slow that I, it went over the, straight over the top of us, and I could feel some kind of magnetic energy. In fact, Jeez. I feel the things in my pocket, my metal things, are, have been magnetized. Yeah, yeah. Things in your pocket being magnetized notwithstanding, let's go to another example. In this example, we observe the moon very far from Earth. It looks big and bright relative to other objects in the sky. But we really have as humans no concept for how big it really is relative to the stars and planets that we also see, or even the sun for that matter. From our vantage point, we think that it's not moving really at all, but it's actually moving about 36 times faster than a car going the speed limit on the highway. The final issue I wanted to raise is the claim people make that the craft simply shoots straight up in the sky. Quite often I see uh, lights up in the sky that are uh, quite unusual. For example, uh, something like uh, a headlight that's about 100,000 feet up in the atmosphere, shining straight down, and then uh, I could watch it for, uh, you know, two or three minutes, and then it just disappears 
straight up like a bullet. What's up with that? What's up with that, dear Coast to Coast AM late night caller at 2 AM, is that there is no up in the sky that we can tell. We can tell up by things getting smaller or by getting dimmer, but that's again just an inference from our point of view, from our everyday experience. This is simply another case where human perception is incredibly flawed and people really don't seem to realize it, especially when they call very late night paranormal radio shows. So by this point, I've hopefully convinced you that anyone who makes a visual observation of a UFO and then claims size, speed, and distance is very much misguided, to put it mildly and assuming that they're just misguided. I don't really care if you're an airline pilot, a member of the armed forces, a police officer, a firefighter, a radio talk show host, a podcaster, a beloved grandmother, or a former U.S. president. If you claim that based upon your by-eye observations that you know these three pieces of information, you are wrong. In the last two weeks, I've actually had more than one person downloading the podcast, so I know that someone other than my mother is listening, especially because she said she hasn't listened yet. Uh, anyway, I've also gotten a few responses to the puzzler from the first episode, so I'll go over the answer, even though I didn't think I was going to be able to until the next episode. The scenario for the puzzler last time was this. Imagine that the moon were a perfect white cube. It still orbits around the Earth the same way it does now, with its orbit tidally locked. Would a cuboidal moon show any different phases to Earth, and if it did, what would they be? So I have to give congratulations to some dumbass for mostly figuring out the solution to the problem first, via email. Others will know him by the name of Parrot on the SGU message boards. I have to give congratulations to Chu from the SGU message boards for providing the solution in as short a form as possible, and doing that first. The solution has been posted on the website for this podcast, which is at podcast.sjrdesign.net, and it's on the page for this second episode. I've also posted a movie showing the solution in perhaps a much easier way to understand it than by the words I'm about to espouse. So the easiest way to answer is that from what we see now as first quarter through the third quarter moon, so first quarter to full moon to third quarter, we would see a fully lit moon. Then from the third quarter through new to the first quarter, we would see nothing if the moon were a cube that's tidally locked. The answer gets more confusing and more complicated if it's not tidally locked and if it's not in the same orbit it is now, but for beginning astronomy, we assume things are simple. This week, the main segment was on UFOs and how big objects appear to be, or may appear to be, or actually are. So the puzzler question is this. In searching for extrasolar planets, one of the most favorable scenarios is where a planet passes directly in front of their star as seen from Earth. And so what we see is it transiting in front of the star. This is why it's called the transit method for discovering extrasolar planets. 
Now let's say an Earth-sized planet transits in front of a Sun-like star, and a Jupiter-like planet also transits in front of that same star. Now they're very slightly offset, so they don't actually overlap as seen from Earth. First, does it matter how close either planet is to the star to how much light it will block? Second, does it matter how far away we are, assuming that we're at least several light years away as observers, in terms of how much light each will block? Or another way of asking that question is, does the amount of light that's blocked from the star by the planet depend upon how far away we are if we're at least a few light years away? Try to figure out the answer? Send it in to puzzler at sjrdesign.net. I'll discuss the solution on the next episode. Or you can post the solution to the SG message board thread that I've set up for this podcast, or you can post it to the episode page on this podcast website for this episode. Now, I do have a few announcements this week, and nobody likes announcements, so they'll go quickly. I've modified the web page or the website for this podcast so that you can give feedback on individual episodes on the website itself. The second announcement is that I will be at Skepticamp in Colorado Springs on August 27th. You can go to skepticamp.org to learn more about that. I'll be giving a talk on the Apollo moon hoax. Third is that you may have noticed, hopefully noticed, better audio in this podcast, and that's because I got a new microphone. I've also cut about 7.2 seconds from the intro music based on some other feedback that I got. That wraps up this topic for the second edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email and appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. If you like this podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes, though if you're listening to it before about October 2011, it won't be on iTunes yet.